Hey guys, welcome into the Commercial Appeals Memphis Grizzlies podcast. I'm the CA's Grizzlies beat writer, David Cobb, joined alongside columnist Mark Giannato and sports producer Jason Munns. Also this, an AAF historian. Yeah, was was only half-joking earlier, Jason, when I said that you are soon to be the Adam Schefter of the AAF. Listen, I'll take that. I I I would I I'm not going to shy away from that. Well, for the purposes of this podcast, he's going to be the woge of the AAF. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's keep it on brand here. Yeah, so this is our first edition since the NBA trade deadline, which was obviously a very active time for the Memphis Grizzlies, a time that sort of uh drastically remade the makeup of the franchise essentially because now for the first time since the Grizzlies moved to Memphis in 2001, there's no longer a Gasol on the roster. Well, I'm curious, David. You've you've been following the team, obviously. What I mean, we're what eight, nine games into this new sort of roster. I'll give my thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. What do you make of the new additions to the roster? Um, let's start. You know, let's go one by one. Like Jonas Valanciunas. What do you think? Impressed. Why? He's a bruiser. He scores. He gets rebounds. Uh, the per 36 numbers are really impressive because he, he plays fewer minutes than Marcus Saul. He's eight years younger than Marcus Saul. He scores as much or more. He's better at rebounding. You lose a little bit on the defensive end, and you lose a little bit of the facilitating ability in terms of the, the really nice passes and floor vision that Marcus Saul had. But all in all, I'm, I'm impressed. Now, the, the, the unfortunate part of what we've seen from Jonas Valanciunas is that we've not seen it next to Jaron Jackson Jr. But it does seem like he might fit, because he's this bruiser inside rebounder, seems like it fits decently well with what Jaron does. Well, but w- w- when we talk about Jonas Valanciunas, the, the ball is in his court. The Grizzlies, if they like him, they need to be doing everything. I'll point out all the stops they can and trying to impress him because he's got a player option for $17 million. And I know, I know that there's some good centers that are going to be available on the free agent market this year that will probably command higher salaries than him. But if he doesn't like it here, he doesn't have to stay. Yeah, I, I mean, honest, personally, I wouldn't mind if he walked. $70 million is a lot for Jonas Valanciunas. In a set in a league that's not center driven anymore, that's a lot of money. Well, there's a couple of guys who are better than. I'm not him. saying it'll be the end of the world if he does it. Like it'll be, he's a nice player. He's clearly a very nice player, and like, given the goals next year are going to probably be, barring you know you getting the number one pick and picking Zion, the expectations next year are going to be limited. Um, what is happening right now? Yeah. Anyway, um, we'll just leave that to the yeah, listeners' no, imagination. The the expectations are going to be limited, so um, it's like to me, it's like whatever. If you okay, well, look, okay, you can't just take a laissez-faire approach to next season because as things stand right now, this team is destined toward the situation where they're still going to have the obligation to the Boston Celtics lingering over their head next year, and That's true. they absolutely cannot afford to carry that obligation into 2021 because that's what people are referring to as the double draft. Uh, that's a, a situation where you could give a really good unprotected draft pick to the Boston Celtics and essentially you know, write your own death knell. I mean, it, it would just be a disaster of all, of all disasters if that's the Grizzlies— you know, so if they don't convey the pick this I season, still think he'd be crazy to like he's not gonna get seventeen million dollars anywhere else. Yeah, probably not. But but yeah. he may not he may be able to go play for a championship contender somewhere else. It, it may he may be able 
to take the prime of his career to a market where you know he could compete for a championship. We have seen in today's NBA, just look no further than Anthony Davis, where guys are now prioritizing their quote-unquote legacies, which in most cases I think people mean rings, uh, over all right, the, all right, all right. I'm, you're comparing Jonas Valanciunas no, I'm, to I'm, Anthony I, I, Davis I, in terms I, of going chasing rings. Like, I mean, I would a, even I, compare him to David West, like who went to Golden State. The, and the his principal career. transcends superstardom. I think it's guys wanting to win championships. Okay, Jonas Valanciunas. Let's the, the real key. Jonas Valanciunas is looking for an apartment. If anyone has an apartment, right? <laughs> that's what he told us after the game the other night. He's still looking. You know, he's still living out of the Westin. Um, so if anyone has a good apartment, that might also entice him to stay another year. Um, so I think we hit the the most one of the more intriguing guys early. Okay, the other new. So guys. let's go. Let's go, Delon Wright. Okay, what do you think of Delon Wright? You know, the, the Grizzlies would have to make him a qualifying offer in order to um, you know have first dibs on him. You know, keep him a, refri- a restricted. He can't free shoot. Agent. Doesn't seem like he can shoot. Yeah, he's he's not a great shooter. He's okay. I mean, he's twenty seven. Like to me, he is what he is at this point. It's not like right. There's this narrative out there that Delon Wright's so this young, promising point guard. I'm sorry, you're twenty six. You're not young in the NBA. <laughs> I've said I've said he's better than bad Shelvin Mack, but I actually think good Shelvin Mack is better than him, which you know probably makes them kind of a. Uh, you know, a negligible, yeah, a wash. Well, he's, he's Delon Wright is a much better defender than Shelvin. That's Mack. true. That is true. He is a decent. He, defender. He's shiftier in the paint. He had a really sleek spin move to the hole the other night. I think it was in the Bulls game that was something some nif- you would never see. Yeah. You would never see <laughs> Shelvin Mack do. Mack was, he's I think, nifty. A, he's, a, nifty. A, he's niftier than Shelvin. A better yeah. shooter. Uh, you know, there's limited upside there. I Shelvin's think. a better ball hog. I, I will say that. <laughs> Shelvin is a better ball hawk. <laughs> really the, and not as nifty. The, not, and not as nifty. The question is, if you're not going to uh, have Mike Conley, if you're going to deal Mike Conley, then maybe you do want to uh, keep DeLon right around for the sake of your point guard depth. Yeah, although I would assume if you're trading Con- uh, Conley in the offseason, probably going to get some sort of point guard back, possibly. Yeah, possibly. Um, in the trade, but... Yeah, we'll see. So, yeah, I don't have a, a strong opinion either way on Delon Wright. If they want to make him a qualifying offer and and whatnot, you know, I don't think they're going to be shelling out major coin to fend off other teams for him. So, I don't know if other teams are going to be shelling out major coin right for him. So, right. yeah, he seems like a guy you could bring back. C.J. Miles. Well, the ball he gets the option there. That's That's, player that option. one is a that one's. That one stinks for the Grizzlies because he's gonna. No one's no one's offering him eight and a half million dollars. Yeah, or I mean it it, it's a it's a hit. It'll be a hit on their books, but you know it's not it's not unmanageable. There there could quote be, unquote good locker room guy. Well, you know, good locker room guy. He's potentially a, a pretty good shooter. The the season season percentages that he's posted in the past are really good from three point range. So you know. It, the one thing that I'll say about this group, I know we're going through them individually, but the one thing I'll say about this new group of players as a collective whole is that they really open up the possibilities for this team offensively. Now, that that was not uh, evident in the Bulls' loss at home the other night when they just looked terrible on offense, but there have been instances since the trade deadline where you've sort of seen this whole new sort of offensive mindset. All this with very rudimentary offensive plays being called because these guys are so new to each other. But basically, they're able to space the floor. They can actually shoot a, a, a decent amount better than they could before. So, you know, it, it's easier to see a guy like, uh, see, you know, to deal with a guy like C.J. Miles because of what he allows you to do in terms of spacing the floor. He just opens up so many things uh, that maybe don't even show up 
all the way in in a, in a statistical look at what he does. Well, and the other thing about these new guys, like we've talked about Jonas and, and CJ Miles, like they are expiring contracts next year. So at the deadline, like even if you get stuck with, you know, like CJ Miles could potentially be washed up. Like, let's be honest, he's 31 and is he's trending in the wrong direction. He looked good the first couple games after the deadline, but since then has reverted back to kind of what he was in Toronto. But at least, I guess you can say, at the trade deadline next year, you could maybe unload his contract to someone. Right. N- nothing that they took back in any of the trades they made before the deadline hamper their long-term ability to rebuild the franchise. We've just talked about this, Mark. Essentially, uh, they'll have a lot, a lot coming off the books at the end of next before season. Before the deadline, there were three guys signed signed to be on the roster for the 2020-2021 season, so two years from now. It was Jaron, Mike, and Kyle Anderson. After the trade deadline, it's still the same three guys signed through so signed through the that right. that for that season. So the, the the roster can be re completely remade over the next two years. Um and then Avery Bradley, we were talking about this before we came you know, the podcast went live. He this seems to have been good. Well, he seemed he see he's had he's had some obviously some very good games. He looks like he is better than the Avery Bradley that was playing for the Clippers earlier this year. Um he he did a nice job covering LeBron the other night, and he's shooting the ball better. Um, I still, you know, I don't know if he's worth twelve million dollars, which is what you'd have to pay him to keep him on the team next year. Um, but what do you, what do you think of Avery Bradley? All right, so Todd has just been waiting to pounce, man. That was great. <laughs> yeah. This right. is how sad the state of affairs. Is. I guess let's get in, into it about Avery Bradley. <laughs> All right, so that's the world's talking about, like you know, LeBron and the playoffs and. Like, Avery Bradley. That's right. I know NBA Twitter has decided that 28-year-old Avery Bradley is washed up and no good anymore and that he's just all he's this fun guy to hate on. All right, I get that. But that doesn't change the fact that the Grizzlies have been in pursuit of this guy for a long time. I mean, I was reading uh, Commercial Appeal Archive stories where they were bringing him in for draft workouts. They liked him. You know, they've liked him in free agency before. They've liked him in the trade market before. They finally got the guy now. And let's just say for the purposes of this argument that the Grizzlies do not convey the pick to the Boston Celtics this season. Well, they're going to have to have somebody capable of playing shooting guard next season, right? They'll have to have somebody playing capable capable of playing shooting guard next season if they want to finish you know outside of the top six and convey next year and avoid the doomsday scenario I articulated at the top of the podcast where they have the obligation looming over their head in 2021 well who are you going to get that's better than Avery Bradley in a trade or on the free agent market to come and play for the Memphis Grizzlies and play shooting guard next season it's a good point the the saddest part of it is you're talking about how they wanted him so bad, and the implication is that the decision makers are going to be back next year, like the guys who've all wanted Avery Bradley for years and years and years, <laughs> Chris Wallace in that front office. Like, you know, I'm hoping, you know, beyond all this player stuff, which is fine. Like, you know, like, you know, it, it's interesting to talk about who's going to be on the team next year, but ultimately, the future of the franchise depends on what. Right. This organization, what they're it. going to do organizationally, and like my hope is, and I think, I mean, I think this ownership group would be foolish not to make significant changes, even if it's just cosmetic, even if it's just new names, and it's like you know you got a new person in charge, a new figurehead, and the 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 decision making process is still as convoluted as it is right now. 
I think they are going to lose season ticket holders if Chris Wallace's name is still atop that front office list. And I don't even think he's really the decision maker at this point. You know, I think he's just a voice in there. But but people are so disenchanted with this front office. I mean, just look at this year. They're, they're, you're, like Ultimately, they come into the season talking about that they want to make the playoffs. Even though most people, most realistic Grizzlies fans, I think, the goal was always to convey the pick. So they put together this roster around Mark and Mike. They're saying, you know, with Mark and Mike healthy, you know, we're a playoff team, whatever. At least we can convey the pick with this group of veterans we went and got. Well, that failed miserably. So at the trade deadline, they trade Mark Gasol and, you know, bring in basically a whole new group of, like, you know, veterans to try and convey the pick. Well, now we're like two, three weeks into this, and, and Chris Wallace comes out and says, the goal is to convey the pick. Well, I got news for you. They're not going to convey, that. like, they're not going to finish out, they're not going to finish above the bottom eight of the standings. It's like, highly unlikely. They're, they're it's at, not impossible. It's not impossible. I mean, I mean they can still do it because the teams that they're chasing are trying to lose. That's the, that's the thing. It's like the Wizards, the Mavericks. Uh, yeah, well, they were, they were, yeah, Cleveland and Chicago were trying to lose too, and and and, uh, and the Grizzlies <laughs> did not help them <laughs> the past couple weeks. The Grizzlies gave them nice big dubs. But your larger point, Mark, I think is spot on. They basically failed twice this year, and then you add in the Chandler Parsons disaster. <laughs> like, I just it it, it would be mind boggling if those guys are brought back. Well. That's the first domino that has to fall before we, I mean, obviously for the purposes of what we do, it's more fun, it's more engaging to discuss the players, it's more interesting to theorize about oh, I think the it's more fun to like talk about year. blowing up this whole freaking thing. <laughs> well, but JB, gone. Chris Wallace, gone. Front office, gone. I want, I want all new faces for next year. If you're going to just... Yeah, if, but the problem is that, is that you're, you're just... You're giving the same wrecked, beat up car to the keys to that car to another another group. I think that there would be some logic in letting that old beat up car just flame out for one more season, and then handing a nicely refurbished, uh, very clean vehicle to the new leadership group. And what I mean by that is, you'll have a Grizzlies team with tons of salary off the. So books. you're going to give this group a third chance? No, no, no. They don't have a the... chance. They just get to drive the the burning vehicle that they ignited. Well, well they're going to have to. I mean, so you're just saying. So you're just saying, just bring back everyone. Yeah, because who's... the only the only objective. Will well, be they're a... showing right now over these two or three weeks. I mean, maybe if you add in Dylan Brooks and Jaron to this, you're saying this roster can convey the pick next year? Yeah, exactly. Okay, think about this. See, hypothetically, um, all right, so you don't convey the pick this year. You want to convey the pick next year. All right, a lineup of Mike Conley, Avery Bradley, Kyle Anderson, Jaron Jackson Jr., Jonas Valanciunas. With Dylan Brooks Dylan coming Brooks, off the bench. Dylan Wright off the bench, along with I- Ivan Rabb. I'm not, <laughs> <laughs> Chandler. Sorry, Chandler. Uh, Dylan Brooks. Delon Wright, Ivan Rab, and um, I'm missing. Oh, you know, potentially a CJ Miles or something coming off. Then you know they can convey that they, they can't convey the pick. And, and that well, honestly, whatever rookie you get in the five right. to eight, pick that guy's going to have to factor in. He'll have yeah. to. You can't yeah. select somebody there and then not invest in them. So, so whoever you know, that's the the hypothetical lineup. So why would you? I mean, there would be some merit in it, I guess. But you could just let this this managerial group drive that flaming car down the street and then. 
once it, it it finishes eighth from the bottom of the NBA standings and conveys the pick, then you hand the keys over to a new, a totally revamped front office, a new coach, and uh, you you really you go from there. You know who I feel bad for? The Grizzlies PR. Come buy Grizzlies season tickets. Come get hit by a flaming car. Like, <laughs> like there's a way to market I mean, that in, in cohesion with Memphis wrestling. I think. Catch fire with the Grizzlies. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I still think I, I actually think though you like. I've seen enough out of JB where I would want a different coach. Though. I see it both ways. I see I see both sides of this, but I'm I'm leaning a little bit more toward Mark. I think you just even if like you said you want to you want to you want to just care you know you want to just kind of get to two years from now. I still think like I said I don't think Chris Wallace is making the decisions. He's just a voice in there at this point. You still need a new name to sell That's to fair. fans. That's fair. You need a new whether it's bumping up someone who's below him who's actually has a bigger role right now. Like, I just don't think you can come back and say, Chris Wallace is our general manager. Even though, at this point, I don't necessarily think he's just like the guy you would actually blame for some of these recent decisions. Um, I think it's someone else. And we don't, that's part of why this franchise is so messed up is that, you know, Robert Parra isn't here and isn't talking. Um, and we don't really know what their decision-making process is. I mean, I asked Chris Wallace about it after the deadline. And he's it's like, oh, we, it's team. the same as every other franchise. It's like, no, no, it's not. Like, all the good <laughs> franchises have a guy who's like a basketball guy, and I'm not saying Chris isn't a basketball guy, but I'm just saying he's not the guy making, you know, he's not. He's clearly to me not the key decision-maker. Um, but, like, there's a Danny Ainge or a Jerry West or something like that, and and – the question I have for this franchise moving forward is like, yes, it's a flaming heap right now. Um, is Robert Para and this ownership group willing to hand over the keys to that flaming car to someone who knows what they're like? Are they willing to empower someone as a bas- as the head of basketball operations? Because w- what we've seen so far from this ownership group is that they're not like they want to have their hands in the cookie jar. And, like, I get it. Robert Pear, I mean, it's his team. He owns a team. He can do whatever he wants. But that typically does not work when you have an owner who's not a basketball person who's, you know, I mean, I, he's a fan. He And, it, like, it feels like he treats this like a toy a little bit. And you need just you need to empower a basketball person and move out of the way. Like, it's weird to me that he's, like, this absentee owner who rarely comes to Memphis, but then when it comes to, like, the decisions on the basketball side, it sounds like from the lone interview he's done this year that he is super involved. And, like, to me, it's like you're either all in or you got to step back and let other people do it. Like, if you want to be here in Memphis and be front and center and be the face of this franchise – then to me it makes more then then I'd feel more comfortable with him doing what he's doing. Well, what's clear is that it's a lot different than when Michael Heisley hired Jerry West and and gave him the uh, Exactly. You need to do something like that. You know. Well, and it was just totally different dynamics because Michael Heisley was active and involved in this community. Jerry West was an established and respected name in the game of basketball and uh it, I, I just know. wanted them to make a change because I want like at least that they make I would assume if they made some front office changes 
Robert Pera would actually come to Memphis and speak to reporters about it, or at least someone about Somebody it. would have to introduce the, uh, yeah, the new people. Like you, some, know? you know, like it's just, I mean, I've written a couple columns now at this point. It's just, I mean, like, I don't understand. Like, if I was a season ticket holder, I'd be like, to me, it's just, I'd be incredulous over the fact that this guy is in, like, like he says he spends more than 50% of his time not even in the United States, but then yet wants to be like super involved in the basketball decision-making process. Like I get it. He owns the team, but like he said himself when he bought the team, like the city really owns this team. Like the people here, that's sports franchises are, are civic endeavors. Like even though there's an owner of the team, like it's more, you know, like it's, it's a civic endeavor and like he is failing in his, civic duty to memphis as the owner because like i mean he's basically just like when he came on as owner this franchise was rolling like it had never rolled before and he has he has turned a rolls royce into a burned up ford focus like (laughs) man yeah go and it's not even well it's and it's and i say he's turned it into it it's his like in his just weird management style where yeah. he designates these random, you know, his handpicked guy at first, you know, he has like a falling out with in this, this kind of convoluted decision-making process where you don't know who's in charge. Like it just, it gives off the air that he doesn't care one way or the other what happens. And I actually ultimately. think, I actually think he does care because he wants to be like, he's like a fan. Like you were, it's like, if you or me, you know, he's like in his early 40s and made a ton of money as a 30-something-year-old, started his own company. It's like if I owned a team and but was like living, you know, if I owned the Sacramento Kings but was living in Memphis and I just watched him on League Pass and I was like, oh, yeah, like let's, let's go get Marc Gasol. Bring him to San, S- Sacramento. It's a billionaire's version of DraftKings yeah. or FanDuel. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, Jonas Valanciunas, I can st- we can stay under the cap with him. Okay, let's do it. <laughs> like, I don't know. But, and then uh, we haven't even talked about Chandler Parsons because he's back. Does it? Does anybody care? I don't know. I enjoy watching. I, I, I take some, there's, I take a sadistic joy in watching <laughs> him run the pick and roll with Joachim Noah. It's a lot of, I mean, it's like, it's like. You know, you've got like, I mean, he like, there's some moments where he actually like, he, he can't move, but like, I actually admire, he's like the fact that he is able to do anything on the court an NBA court right now, given how immobile he is speaks to like, if he just had like two working knees, yeah. he'd be really good right? because he can pass the ball. He's got good vision. He can't shoot anymore, apparently. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I love watching him run the pick and roll with Joe Kim. They got that Billy Donovan chemistry. You know, they never played together at Florida, but they're like they're buddies. They're like best friends. Are they gonna bring back Joe Kim Noah? Are they gonna be able to? I I don't know. I mean, Joe Kim at this point I think has earned himself the ability to he's gonna be an unrestricted free agent. So he can listen to offers from any team in the league. And I think at this stage in his career, wouldn't you rather go somewhere where you can compete for a title? I mean, he may be a little bit afraid of going back to the big market because of what happened to him in New York, and he's been very open about uh, the the pitfalls and the challenges that were in front of him when he was in New York, not just from a, oh, I signed a big contract and didn't live up to it standpoint, just from a lifestyle standpoint, it wasn't the best environment for him. So, you know, I can maybe see him going to a uh, a smaller to mid-market 
contender playoff type team. Come ride uh, shotgun in the flaming Ford Focus. <laughs> How could you turn that down? Well, you know, it'll be interesting. I, I think uh, if you're joking, Noah, the Grizzlies become more interesting to you if, jo- if Jonas Valanciunas opts out. Because then you can think about being a starter. I mean, yeah. a, a legitimate NBA starter at age 35, and I think that would be attractive to him after everything he's been through. Um, and if you're the Grizzlies, you would have to temper your expectations. You're probably only going to get 60 to 65 games out of this guy, not a full 82. Um, but, you know, I think that would maybe be attractive to him. But if he's going to be the center coming off the bench, I think if you're joking, Noah, you probably look towards a team where you can compete. What's your What's your evaluation on, uh, if indeed, it seems like we've probably seen the last of Jaron Jackson Jr. this year. Would that be your guess? That's my guess. Um, also, I would guess the same for Kyle Anderson. Um, they are apparently we're doing this podcast recording it on March the first, and uh, they're going to I think let those guys speak with the media at some point in the next week from as we sit here now. Uh, and I would imagine that by the time they trot them out to us, it will be determined one way or the other if those guys will be back. That to me, and I wrote this uh, recently, is what's frustrating about the Grizzlies current situation is there's been things to like about what all five guys have done you know CJ Miles hasn't shot the ball well we haven't seen a ton of Tyler Dorsey but uh, you want to know how these guys fit with the core pieces that you have in place for the future and those guys are Jaron Jackson Jr. and Kyle Anderson and probably Dylan Brooks given how hard they've fought to keep him as a part of the team Uh, but right now those three guys are are out of the lineup. So what are you really learning about what you've got moving forward? You know, J.B. Bickerstaff continues to talk about laying a foundation with what they're doing right now. The problem is that that's a foundation that doesn't have its cornerstones. Because- the flaming Ford Focus without <laughs> wheels. <laughs> Oof. Oof. You have to, from now on, you have to refer to the Grizzlies as the flaming Ford Focus. Yeah. With, what'd you say? With no wheels. No wheels, yeah. yeah. From now on, no wheels. in Tweets and, and stories, <laughs> columns, yes, from now on. Uh, what'd you make? What do you, I mean, I think it was a, other than this deep quad bruise, which was such, such a great metaphor for the whole season. Um, what do you, I mean, it seemed like, I mean, Jaron had, a, I think, a fairly successful rookie season. Would you not agree? I agree. Uh, somebody asked me earlier if I thought the Grizzlies handled him well this season. I would be interested to hear what you think, Mark, about how the Grizzlies managed Jaron Jackson Jr. this season. I come away from it thinking that they managed him fairly well as a rookie. Uh, I mean, by game three, the guy was starting, and I know there was some frustration that they didn't unleash him entirely and run the offense through him and get him, you know, 23 shots a game uh, during parts of the season. But I think that as a rookie with guys like Mike Conley and Marcus Saul on the roster for most of the season, uh, that Jaron Jackson Jr., was allowed to do about what you want a 19-year-old rookie to do on a team that at least for the most of the season you thought was was competing. So, uh I think that he had a pretty good rookie season and uh you know, I don't I don't think the Grizzlies did anything that is going to hamper his development. I think they probably played it pretty down the middle uh in terms of, you know, him the role they let him play as a rookie. Yeah, you can I mean I'm sure there's some people who were I know there are people who were upset with his usage at the end of games and like just in general his just you you know how much they ran the offense through him when Mike and Mark were here uh were both here but yeah I I think in general when you look at it in the grand scheme big picture of things 
This is about. I mean, you look like you compare. He had a better rookie year than Giannis, and he had com- a comparable rookie year to Anthony Davis. Well, he's nineteen. Um, in the the thing that I think is, and I don't think he's going to be either of those guys, but he's going to be. I think he showed enough this year to make you believe he's going to be a border. I, I think he will be a borderline All Star when it's all said and done. I don't know, you know, and maybe he, maybe it's a little below an all-star, maybe it's a perennial all-star, but it's hovering around that that area. He needs to get stronger. Yeah, and he, that's, needs, he needs to, pro, you know, like ultimately for him to really fulfill his potential, like to really become a, an all, a perennial all-star, probably needs to be, you know, be like a 40% three-point shooter too. Um, if he's not that, that's not really that. But he was close to that. He's thirty six percent this yeah. year. That's the thing is that the things that he needs to work on are so obvious that they're almost things that guys just get better at naturally. It's one he's got to fill out. He's only nineteen. He's yeah. he stunk at rebounding this this season, yeah, especially alongside Marcus Saul. But you just think that naturally, as a guy fills out and understands the NBA game, uh, that those that'll be something that improves automatically. Same with the stupid fouls. You know, a lot of times Grizzlies fans would be upset that Jaron Jackson Jr. wasn't in the game at a certain situation or didn't play 30-plus minutes in a given game. Well, there were a lot of times where he couldn't because he committed so many silly fouls. He'll cut that out. That'll naturally, I think, leave his game as he progresses and plays more in the NBA. So uh, I think that the those are two obvious fixes right there that are that are going to fix themselves, essentially. Um, and, then, and then, you know, when you think about, you know, you throw out names like Giannis or you think about, um, an Anthony Davis or or something like the the prototype of a modern six ten six eleven guy in the NBA. I think those guys have the ability to pull up off the dribble and make a jumper. We didn't really see that this year. That'll be something that I think is a long term project for him is being able to uh, pull up off the dribble um, and create for yourself without without getting to the hole for for you know a layup. He is the. He's like the shiny rims on this flaming Ford Focus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's a good analogy. Um, and he was—he's fun to watch. He's an intriguing character. He's not the greatest interview. He's like very—he's smart, and so he's guard. You know, he—he's very good at making it seem like he's saying a lot when he's not saying a lot, which is the sign of a very savvy person. Yeah. yeah. Um, when dealing with the media, but I think for fans. He has a really engaging personality and has, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Mike, while he's still here, will be the face of the franchise. But very clearly, Jaron is going to be the face of the franchise very soon. Um, do you, How what, dare you disrespect Joakim Noah? Yeah, sorry. Sorry, Joakim. Um, <laughs> I, uh, so you don't think they're going to trade Mike Conley this offseason? Uh, it all depends. You know, I was reading a quote from that, that John Hollinger gave the commercial appeal over the summer. Uh, it was in a story Peter Edmiston wrote before I came on board. And uh, the thing that he said that I think rings true for the Grizzlies this offseason that stuck out to me is that people think that we go into the offseason with this set plan. When in reality, there are, I forget how many he said, but 20 or 30 uh, variables at play that each affect what we're going to do. So the first variable that's in play is is the front office going to be the front office mm-hmm. okay well if not there's going to be somebody making decisions and their decisions are going to be i think influenced heavily heavily by whether or not the grizzlies convey this pick if the grizzlies miraculously win enough games to convey the pick down the stretch i think you see a, a pretty wide uh, dismantling 
Mm-hmm. In which case, I do think that Conley would be likely to go. If they don't convey the pick, they have to convey it next year, and they have to keep Mike Conley, unless the return that they're going to get is just insane and just too good to pass up. What if they get offered a fire extinguisher? <laughs> Was the, would that that person's name be uh, like Giannis? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, Giannis the firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we shall see. It's, I would take uh, Conley for Giannis straight up. So if that deal is off. So I mean, we're talking. We're all we're talking about this off season. There's still what twenty games left, something like that. Um, what do what what should fans be looking for these last twenty games? Like what 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 reason do they have to turn on Fox Sports Southeast? Aside from Pete Pranica and Brevin, and Brevin Knight. Knight and I've got a story on, on those guys coming out soon. Uh, much love. But, um, you know, that's a great question, Mark. And I don't know that I'm the one as the beat writer that can give you uh, an answer. Yeah, you're to paid that. to go watch this. Uh, I've got, hey, <laughs> thankfully. Yeah. You know, it was crazy uh, this past week. You go from the, the high of the LeBron game, which was a pretty good atmosphere. You know, you kind of forgot for a moment that – you know that this was a flamed out Ford Focus with the shiny rims and and uh, and that was a fun night. And then a couple of nights later, the Bulls come into town and it was just awful. It was just right. awful. And I was, I mean, obviously, I'm grateful for this job and it's one of the coolest jobs in the world. But that that game was terrible. Um, so we got the Warriors coming in twice. Yeah, the Warriors right? are coming. Warriors in. There coming go. twice. There, there you go. That's that's yeah. why you tune in. You got the Warriors coming in twice. Uh, maybe you know you really. Although have... the last, they play the last game of the year, and I have a feeling we're gonna see like the the Warriors. I would go. Team. I would go to the first Warriors game if you want to yeah. see Durant and Steph. For, to be to be certain, you're gonna see Durant, Steph, and all those guys because they're gonna play them the last game of the regular season. And chances are, gold. The, the chances are, some of those guys might not even make the trip because Golden State will have stuff wrapped up. Uh, by the way, I forgot that earlier when I was discussing the potential Grizzlies want to convey the pick next year uh, bench rotation, I totally disrespected Bruno Caboclo by leaving him out of the hypothetical se- second unit. Uh, feature dropping soon on Bruno. Keep an eye out for that at commercialappeal.com. The wintergreen air freshener of our fi- flaming so, Ford Focus. <laughs> <laughs> so much, wet, and got him, wet and got him at a gas station, and, uh, you know, it's making it smell a little nice. It's Rocking covering it. some of the st- the scent of that burnt uh, cloth. And, uh, I'll be honest. Um, I'm more interested in the opening of the 901 FC season. But uh, I'm allowed to say that. I just said it. Um, Coming soon, March 9th. March the 9th, the Tampa Bay Rowdies come to AutoZone Park for the first regular season 6 p- game. 6 p.m. Yeah. So, uh, Muns, I keep looking at you because typically you're the, the person who, who you know, winds it down, but I forgot that I, I let us off today with this edition of the Grizzlies podcast. Have we? So it's ful- only fitting. Have we fulfilled our duties? Have we podcasted? We've conveyed the podcast. We've conveyed the podcast. <laughs> yeah. No, we're, yeah. This, right. is, this is good stuff. Well, well guys, um, enjoyed it. We'll have to do it again, obviously, at least once before the season ends, and I'm sure we'll get together once the season has ended to discuss the direction of the, the Flaming Ford focus. I feel like we'll get together a lot more once the season ends, just yeah. because, A... It's way more interesting. Yeah, though, yeah, honestly. yeah. It's going to be a lot more interesting than, uh, yeah. Yeah, I've got a beach trip lined up for a few days after the season ends, so uh, if... Excuses. No excuses. <laughs> but uh, anyway, thank you guys for tuning in to this edition of the Commercial Appeals Grizzly, uh, Grizzlies podcast. Uh, I'm David Cobb, and for Jason Munns and Mark Giannato, we will catch you again soon. I'm Sean King. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of the Commercial Appeal.